you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from the ChrisVossShow.com. The ChrisVossShow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to watch the video versions. Go to YouTube.com forward slash Chris Voss. Go to Goodreads.com forward slash Chris Voss. And also uh, go to Facebook.com forward slash The Chris Voss Show. You can see all our groups over there on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. We've got a really brilliant novelist that we're sharing with you today. Today. And I think you're going to be excited to read his book, check out everything he's doing, and all that good stuff. And this episode is brought to you by IFI Audio and their new Neo IDSD. The Neo is the new wave of digital sound listening for your desktop, music, gaming, and bleeding edge Bluetooth, even MQA audio file decoding. Uh, we're using it in the studio right now. I've loved my experience with it so far. It just makes everything sound so much more richer and better and takes things to the next level. IFI Audio is an award-winning audio tech company with one aim in mind, to improve your music enjoyment of quality sound, eradicate noise, distortion, and hiss from your listening experience. Check out their new incredible lineup of DACs and audio enhancement devices at ifi-audio.com. We have a most incredible novelist on the show today. Uh, his name is David Andrew Hopin. He is the brilliant author of The Orchard, and he is a first-year student at Yale Law School. He was raised in Hollywood, Florida, and he earned his master's from the University of Oxford and graduated from Yale College. And we're going to be talking about his uh, brilliant novel today. Uh, David, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here. It's wonderful to have you. And uh, let's talk about your book and uh, all that good stuff. This is really cool. This is your very first book you put out. Uh, do you have a? Do you want to hold it up for us to see uh, for those on the Instagram feed? There, there, there you go. The it's book. it's a really interesting cover too, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, yeah. where can people find more about you and buy the book on the interwebs? Yeah, uh, the book came out about two months ago uh, with Echo Press, Harper Collins. Um, it's available everywhere books are sold, Amazon, uh, HarperCollins website, uh, Barnes & Nobles, and then a range of uh, independent bookstores that are obviously well worth supporting. Um, I have a website, davidhopen.com, where you can find links to order and more information about the book. There you go, guys. So uh, what motivated you to write the book? My understanding is you spent quite some time uh, developing this book. Yeah, I started writing this book. Actually, I was about 17, 18 years old. I was a senior in high school. Um, and I, I guess I had about three different strands of interest that propelled me to write the book, um, which I went on to write mostly as a college student. Um, firstly, I grew up in modern Orthodox Jewish uh, communities. I attended yeshiva high schools. Uh, and at the time, I felt perplexed. Uh, and fascinated by the fact that this kind of specific community within American culture was largely neglected. Um, you could see TV shows that covered, you know, ultra-Orthodox Judaism, and you can see 
uh, books that covered things more to the left. But this was a very particular subset um, within mainstream American culture. And uh, I was curious about why it was not very, uh, not featured really at all, uh, or at least not on its own terms. And I was interested in examining that kind of lifestyle and also using it to propel readers towards um, thinking about some of the larger questions I was interested in, uh, because these are communities that balance um, both tradition and, you know, firmly steeped in tradition, uh, but also with a very normal, modernized, secular involvement. Um, so that was the first strand. The second strand uh, is that I was a high school kid. I was a teenager and I could recognize even then that the books I enjoyed reading and the things I enjoyed thinking about often took place at that precipice of adulthood when you're a teenager entering into your 20s and things uh, have a certain way of feeling um, filled with splendor and important and grand. Um, and I would say the third part of it was that I was interested in this uh, myth from the Talmud that I learned about when I was a young kid. It was haunting and strange and compelling. And uh, I wanted to bring those things together. And they all, all these strands combined. And uh, that's how the book was started. There you go. Now, you mentioned the, and I'm, hopefully I pronounced this correctly, the Toman? Yeah. It, can you expand on us for what that is? I have a lot of great Jewish friends, and I love them. In fact, I say oy vey all the time. I hang out with them <laughs> so much. But I'm not sure what that is. And so for uh, listeners that might not know, can you uh, give us a little bit of more insight to that? Because that's going to be in the book, too. Yeah. The, the long and short of it is that the Talmud is a collection of commentary on Jewish law. And so um, specifically for orthodox observant Jewish communities, they follow uh, this this um, very vast collection of writings um, that do focus on what the actual law is, but more importantly, it's focuses on the chaos of, of thinking about what law is. Uh, as, a, as a law student now, I enjoy that part of it where it's the answers are important, the solutions are important, but even more critical is the way we reason towards that and the way we reason towards finding out what these answers are, uh, sheds light on what we value. And so that's kind of the long and short of what the Talmud is. It's a collection of arguments and thought patterns and interesting stories uh, that arise along the way of figuring out what the law is and what we should do. That's a great life lesson right there, really, when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. So uh, give us an overview of the book. Like, what, Tell us about the story and, and all that good stuff as to what the, what the kind of the broad arc of it is about. Yeah, so I, I mentioned the Talmud. Um, there is a very eerie tale in the Talmud that features four rabbis, uh, supposedly the holiest rabbis of their era, who get together and go on this strange journey into what's mysteriously called an orchard. Um, in the orchard, these rabbis come face to face with God and each leaves irreversibly and fundamentally changed. Um, they each have different reactions. One goes on to perish, one loses his faith. One goes insane, uh, and only the fourth ends up leaving uh, relatively untouched. Um, and so that was a myth that beguiled me, and I wanted to set that myth in contemporary terms. Um, and so the story takes place uh, in modern times. It follows uh, this uh, high school senior named Ari Eden, who grew up in an ultra-Orthodox community in Brooklyn, New York, and rather abruptly finds himself transplanted to this whole other dazzling alien world uh, in South Florida, um, where he falls into a new group of friends and a new school. Uh, and these students are much more fast paced and much more in touch with contemporary American culture. Uh, and along the way, Ari falls into a crowd that is engaging in very 
uh, let's call it unconventional and increasingly dangerous moral experiments. Um, and so the book in some sense reimagines that Talmudic story in modern times. Uh, and so it's a book of ideas. It thinks a lot about very important questions in faith um, and the interfa- interplay between faith and culture and meaning. Um, but it's also a book uh, that's about coming of age and becoming an adult and falling in love and figuring out where you belong in this world. These are a lot of, and these are a lot of things that you go through when you're young. Of course, I think I'm still going through them at 50. I'm still figuring stuff out and having new epiphanies and waking up going, maybe I, and that's, I, and that's part of, um, that's part of the beauty of it. And seeing now that the book's out in the world and seeing uh, audiences from all sorts of places reach out and people who are many decades removed from their high school experience can think vividly back on what it was like to grow up. And even if this is a particular uh, niche or subset of a community, they're universal themes. Everyone remembers what it was like to be that age. Yeah. I, I wish I could go back with all the knowledge that I have now and yeah. <laughs> use it. But even then, I'm not sure that my knowledge library is complete. I mean, like even at 50, I, I was like, wow. And I think one of the challenges of life uh, is, is you, you have, you have this uh, wreckage that you leave behind over the years and you go and you can see the patterns after, after you get older and you can go, wow. Yeah, that, that that really left trail there. But uh, do you find that a lot of people, uh, whether they're Jewish or not, really this resonates with them? I do. Uh, that's that's one of the great rewarding feelings uh, about being on the other side of the publishing part of this is that um, people have related to the book and embraced the book um, in, in much wider circles than I could have possibly anticipated. Um, as I said, yes, this book does in some play, in some ways take place within a specific community, but the themes are, are universal. The themes are in no way or shape limited to readers of, you know, who grew up in modern Orthodox communities. Uh, it's just, it's just an environment. I, one of the best pieces of advice I received early on as a writer was that world building is effective insofar as it's just world building. And so if you're going to set characters in a, in a place so that you can catapult them into larger territory, that's wonderful, whether that's in, you know, a community in South Florida, that's a Jewish community, or if it's in, you know, wherever it is, uh, medieval times. Um, and so as long as you get there, I, I think that's, that's the goal of the book. And so in this way, I have felt and been very grateful to think that people have embraced the book who, Jewish or not Jewish, uh, people who are religious or not religious. Basically, I think it's interesting to anybody who wants to think about, um, how to find meaning in their life and how to go back into that time and think about when, when did you first fall in love with some of the ideas that go on to, to pierce your heart and, and stay for a while. Uh, some of those relationships that are monumental. So yeah, I think I, hopefully it has wide appeal. It continues to have wide appeal. Certainly life lessons do. We, I mean, regardless of where uh, you are in life or, or what you uh, believe in or do, uh, you know, the life lessons seem to be those things that resonate with everyone. Uh, on the cover, uh, you know, the book is called The Orchard. On the cover, is that a burning bush that we see or what? what is that on the cover of the book? Yes. Yeah, so uh, to show it up, we have, um, let's say my designer did an amazing job, um, someone named Elizabeth Yaffe. I'm very grateful for this cover. Um, I've, I've loved seeing how readers can look at the cover and each come up with different um, aspects in it. Mm. Some have insisted that they see David Hopin in the flames. Some have seen a bull. Some have seen all sorts of uh, interesting, bizarre images. Um, it's a bit of a Rorschach test in that way. Um, um, what What is there is that it's it's um, 
it's a it's a burning fire in the shape of um, what can be potentially a bush. Um, there are silhouettes of faces in there. Oh wow! Uh, uh, representing some of the main characters, um, but some of the some of the fun is having the readers look at the look at the cover, study it, go on to read the book, and then as they're reading or after they read, go back and uh, find some other things hidden in there. That's pretty cool. I've got to go look at that cover again now. <laughs> um, so is what are the characters in the book as, as the story develops? Uh, so the main character, Ari, is this um, initially quiet and thoughtful person who has an appreciation for the kind of ultra-religious upbringing he's had, but also feels very much restricted. He is... Mm a voracious reader um, and hasn't had necessarily the educational opportunities uh, for which he'd been hoping. And so largely found himself learning about the world through books, but more than that, having some kind of vicarious experience of the world through books. Uh, So he would disappear in books and to reemerge on the other end and feel as if something had transformed within him. He had grown up, he had uh, thought about romance and adventure um, and so when he does move to Florida, he's hungry. He's hungry for experience. He's hungry for new friends. He's hungry to actualize some of the ideas he's uh, can, you know, thought about and read about in books. Um, and he falls into a group of friends that's made up of the ringleader of this group is a boy named Evan Stark, who is brilliant and grappling with the tragic loss of his mother. Um, he is someone who is defiant but not in the conventional teenage sense of being angry he's someone who is looking to make sense of the world and piece together some of the um some of the losses he's experienced um and push at a lot of the pillars of faith that he's been spoon-fed all of his life um you have other characters like noah harris who is ari's um friend in uh, Florida and and new neighbor, and he brings him to the fold. Noah is this athletic phenomenon. He's going to go play basketball um, at the collegiate level. He's beloved. Um, uh, You have other characters, including um, a student named Sophia Winter, um, for whom Ari is uh, head over heels. She is a mysterious and brilliant um, uh, pianist. Uh, And so there's this in short, collection of friends who are much more sophisticated, much more knowledgeable, and much more charismatic and eager to experience the world uh, than Ari's ever known before. Um, he is immediately uh, spellbound by this, by this group, um, but does find himself fitting in and finds out once he's arrived, things accelerate. Awesome. How much of this, how much of this book, it has you in it from your, I mean, we all would take our stories from our personal lives, but how much, how much of this came from, you know, your personal experience in your life? How much have you played into this book? Yeah, I find this is everyone's favorite question Um, for, you know, for natural reason. I, I think that you're right. I think authors pull from what they know. And I think for on the reader's side, there's a natural and fun impulse to associate. Um, And so Insofar as I grew up in South Florida, I attended these kinds of schools. Um, I absolutely drew from that. I drew from what it was like to go and have a dual curriculum where you would start your day in prayer and move on to Bible studies and then go to, you know, AP European history and then finish the day uh, at basketball practice where you basically had this extraordinarily unique, um, I don't know, association of different 
and potentially clashing things all in one world. And it's, it's a bubble. You don't necessarily think that it's odd. Uh, you don't think about what it's like until you leave and go off to college. Uh, so I, I drew from that. I drew also from the energy of being involved in a warm, tight-knit community and having uh, lifelong friends with whom you grew up. Um, and I also had, I mean, I, I grew up in South Florida. I've never moved, lived anywhere else before that point, but I did initially attend more of a right-wing uh, religious school before going to a more, more modern uh, high school. So I, I knew what it was like to transition, uh, albeit in less dramatic terms. Um, but I will say that the more explosive events of the book, as readers will find, uh, are very much fictional. Uh, they don't they don't draw from anything that resembles my life. Um, but part of the fun is, you know, imagining some of the real things in your life and thinking about what it would look like um, in story form and, and how can that move readers into the places you want them to be. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Uh, how how uh, as you were building this out, what this is your first novel, and you're probably going to go on like most novelists to write more books and and extend beyond that. Do you do you see uh, the characters in this book or this book being a continuum of like a you know uh, uh, book two, book three, book four, or um, do you do you see this being a, a concise com- uh, compilation here? Yeah. Just before we got on this call, I got an email from uh, some woman who asked, uh, can you please write a sequel? Um, and, you know, those are, those are always um, heartening messages to see. I, I, I am at work on another book. Um, I hope, you know, if I should be so lucky that I can continue writing books. Um, but as of now, no, I, I think this is a self-contained book um, as readers will probably find by the end, a lot happens in here. It's, um, pyrotechnical at parts and heartbreaking at parts. Um, but I do think that it's most likely something that might live on more in another medium, you know, if it, you know, an adaptation more than another book. Uh, but I do think it was an important book. I mean, it's an important book for many reasons. I think anyone would find a, their debut novel is important, but I have a particularly intimate and grateful relationship with this book, having basically grown up with it and having started in high school, writing it as a college student. Um, I feel like this is kind of my baby and uh, I have a hard time dissociating from the characters who have lived in my head for so many years. Um, I think it gets easier to say goodbye when you're working on other characters or when you're in your first semester of law school and the book comes out as, as happened to me. Uh, so you get busy enough that it's easier to say goodbye, but yeah, it's been, it's been a very interesting experience in that regard. Uh, it sounds like it. And yet yeah, now I noticed you, yeah, like you mentioned, you, you just, uh, you're entering law school or, uh, you were entering law school at the time or, and you graduated now. I, I understand from Yale college. I, I graduated from Yale college in 2017. Uh, mm-hmm. I went on to do a master's program, uh, in England. Um, at that point I had finished the draft of the book. I was working on revisions, but again, I was, that was independent of my coursework. I was uh, working on my dissertation at the time. And when I had free moments, I was, I'd be working on the book. Um, and now that I'm back in law school, as the book came out, it was kind of a fun full circle moment. Cause I don't know what it's like to be with this book outside of school in some ways. Um, and, you know, I, it was cool to have the book come out right before my finals because things were really getting, uh, you know, I was grateful for it. It was a great opportunity and, and enjoyable, but they're, you know, chaotic. Um, I remember, the day it came out, I went from, you know, some book events to uh, people were asking, you're going out for, you know, some kind of party tonight or, or and I said, well, I, you know, I have a three hour seminar and then I have uh, a big paper due tonight. So it was, you know, it, it was a really cool thing to write it uh, at this time in my life. 
Did some of that experience going to college uh, have an effect on on how you wrote the book, uh, either from you know character development or storyline, or from just the writing in and of itself? Yeah, it, in in intense ways. Um, I mean, first and foremost, so I started this book before going to college, and it was a passion project. It was something you know I was excited about, and I was I was always eager to turn to when I had the time, but it wasn't something I was doing uh, primarily as my coursework. It wasn't something I was doing at a, in, a, in any kind of like, I was dedicated to it, but I didn't have a routine um, until midway through my collegiate career. I had the chance to work with uh, Susan Choi, the national book award winner who was on faculty. Um, she was taking on a student to work one-on-one with in a tutorial. Uh, and so I remember meekly showing her the pages, uh, you know, I had maybe a hundred and 150 pages at that point, prehistoric kind of pages. Uh, and she was, she was so gracious as a mentor and she's a brilliant writer. And she made me feel as if this was something I could take seriously and pursue at the next level. That is so there awesome. was definitely once in a lifetime privilege, really. I can't under, uh, I can't overstate it enough. Um, so at that point, I think there was a shift in focus uh, and I set out to finish the draft by the time I graduated college. Um, and so in that regard, you know, I think having the experience of writing in college had a large effect on the book. And I think anybody grows as a writer, hopefully, as they continue at it and you work on your craft. Uh, and also some of the themes of the book were enhanced by being in college and taking the classes I was taking. My um, intellectual and academic interests are very much reflected in the book. Um, and parts of growing up and becoming more of a solidified human being, I think, are important when you're writing a book, especially writing a book about characters on, on the verge of adulthood. What do you think a lot of people are going to take away from the book and remember about it? Uh, I have seen that people have taken all sorts of different things. I think um, there is a large focus on finding what it means to think about divinity in modern terms, um, even in secular terms, to think about what it means to be good, what it means to be worthy and moral. Um, As I've noted in the past, I think that I had no idea what it would be like to publish a book during a pandemic. Uh, and one of the, one of the things that I, I've been interesting to observe is that people now have a, an extra drive to find some kind of new meaning in life. I think people are grappling with the fact that for so long, our daily routines have been distorted and disrupted. Uh, and we've seen chaos and we've seen uh, some grim phenomenons uh, politically, medically, uh, and interpersonally at this point. And I think that a book that presents big ideas about um, life and death and religion and um, how to find meaning in life and what it really means to be moral and to what extent is that uh converge or diverge with being a religious person or being someone who goes along with whatever norms are involved in your community. I think those are all the big questions that people enjoy taking out of the book. Um, and I won't, and I, and I won't shy away from the fact that the book is also very much a fast paced thriller. There are big moments. There are, um, I I've enjoyed seeing how readers say that, uh, even at the times they wanted to look away, they couldn't or couldn't put the book down and how the characters stay in their head afterwards. So um, if you're looking for big ideas, I think the book has uh, much to say. And if you're looking for a chance to re-experience or glimpse that delicate, beautiful time of what, when you're coming of, of age, I think uh, the book is there for you too. That's awesome. I love what you just said there. You know, this is a great time where we're, we're doing a lot of reassessment. I mean, we've, we've all become mortal and, and it's interrupted our daily lives and our, and our, and our, 
you know, kind of we're, our indispensability of life where we're just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, we're, we've certainly found that ours are approaching, I think, 400,000 deaths in America. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it has given us more time to be introspective, to read, which is great for authors like you. Uh, for me, like podcasts, it's been great where more people are listening in and thinking about their lives and what they're doing. And so it's really great. Uh, anything more we should know about you and the book? Um, I think that largely covers it. Um, Without giving yeah. away the whole book, you know. <laughs> yeah, as we said, you know, sometimes it's hard to discuss uh, some of the particulars about the book for those who haven't read, read it. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got to keep that mystery. Otherwise, you know, people. Well, There's I a certain allure. There's a certain allure, <laughs> yeah. I have that problem with movies. Like sometimes I watch the movie and they're like, you should go back and read the book. And I'm like, I just... I just got the cliff notes. So, uh, <laughs> but there are, there are re- really good uh, movies that are really good books that you should go back. Like fight club was one. I, I really enjoyed actually reading the book on and just finding out there was so much more. And there's probably more books that I really should have gone back and, and read um, yeah. that would make more sense, but awesome sauce. Maybe it'll give an option for uh, some sort of a book or movie. Or, uh, you know, yeah, we're, yeah, those are, they're interesting opportunities without giving away too much on that front. Um, so that's, that's Uh-oh. exciting. Stay yeah. tuned, folks. There you go. Stay tuned. Um, <laughs> give us your plugs one more time uh, where we can take that, David, and uh, check you out. Yeah. Uh, my debut novel is called The Orchard from Echo HarperCollins. It came out mid-November. It's available anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookshops. My website is davidhopen.com. I'm on Instagram. Um, reviews and coverage of the book are featured on my website uh, or some fun Google plugs away. And uh, yeah, it's been pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me again, Chris. And thanks for coming on the show. We certainly appreciate it, David. Um, and I, I, it, it's an insightful book that people are going to learn from and uh, definitely a good time. I think we still have uh, about nine months, maybe, or a year before things return to normal. So yeah. it's a good time to think about your life, think about your future, think about everything that's going on in life and, and hopefully come out the other end with a greater appreciation of it. Yeah. There you go. Uh, to my audience, thank you for tuning in. Go to YouTube.com for just Chris Voss. Go to Goodreads.com for just Chris Voss. Go to Facebook.com for just The Chris Voss Show. There's lots of groups on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn. You can join as well. Just search for The Chris Voss Show. Uh, thanks to my audience for tuning in. Thanks for David for being here. And we'll see you guys next time.